All right, welcome back to Rigged. Uh, it is just Ilias and myself today. We want to. We've been wanting to do this episode for forever. We've been talking about doing it forever. Um, it's a very important topic that is underexplored. It it is explored somewhat, uh, but it's truly a scary. I mean, all the stuff that we've gone over about the drug lab and and um, you know some of the some of the other things that we've uh, explored are scary things that exist out there. But um, this one, uh, civil asset forfeiture, it's a big name. Um, it's kind of a, you know, civil asset forfeiture. Like, what does that mean? Um, what, you know, how does that tie in? Um, basically, it's, it's what I call legal stealing that the police are allowed to kind of take your property um and th this idea that property has like guilt associated with it because it's you know been involved in a crime or you know stuff like that and um it's just kind of a crazy concept Ilias. uh we we've, we've talked about it for years um what, what are your thoughts like we, we have a whole like Ilias made a whole outline that we're going to go over that goes back to the magna carta twelve fifteen. Um, and the idea of, you know, feudalism, uh, you want to you want to define feudalism and what that kind of means historically? Well, sure. And I'm, I'll just preface everything with I'm not a historian and I'm going to get stuff slightly wrong or uh, mangle things. But I, I want to get to sort of the general concepts. And obviously anyone who's a uh, historian is welcome to come in and, and um, uh, educate us on the, on the concepts. But I think that will help tie these things in more. Um, so I, I think when when we talk about, the reason why we've been talking about civil asset forfeiture is because we're trying to identify root causes of why the drug lab scandal happened, right? We're, we're trying to understand what was the, 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 the madness that resulted in such a um, unsupervised uh, organization playing such a large role in such a large, aspect of our criminal justice system and one that people really don't think of that much right when you think when you watch law and order you know, how many uh you know um small time marijuana arrests do you see on law and order how many times do you see somebody selling one little rock of crack right and it, certainly they they don't make episodes about that um so we as a public are very in tune with violent crime and very aware of uh, uh, of the need for uh, to address the causes uh, of, uh, of violent crime and to discuss what's the right allocation of resources. The quote unquote war on drugs just sort of sits in the background and we don't pay a lot of attention to it. And the point of this episode is to start getting people thinking about what the what role the war of drugs really serves in our society? What is this all about? How do you explain this? If an alien landed on earth and was trying to understand what this is all about, how would you explain it to them? So to do that, we're gonna have to do some history. And so I hope everyone has caffeine uh, <laughs> in their reach. <laughs> but um, I thought that we'd go back um, not to the 70s, not to the 60s, you know, not to prohibition, not to the Civil War, not to the Revolutionary War, not to the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Tea Party. But I thought we'd go back to the Magna Carta because I think that's a that's a, a glimpse. The, this idea that 
there's such a thing as guilty property. I know we've said that on the on the on the show before. That a it's hokey. B in my opinion, it has nothing to do with this. Nothing to do with this. Nobody thinks the horse is guilty, right? The reason that your horse was seized in feudal, and I'll get to what feudalism is, as I understand it, but the reason why your horse would be seized in, in the feudal era was not because the horse was guilty, but because somebody above you in the pecking order had the right to take it. And you had no means, legal means, to stop that. And you know you know what this reminds me of? Do you remember Braveheart? Did you see Braveheart? I have, uh, I'm, I'm one of four people on the planet that has not seen uh, Braveheart, but. <laughs> well, so one of the big scenes, what, what gets William Wallace rolling on his like little adventure um, is a feudal lord uh, when someone gets married in his kingdom has what they call prima nocturne, which is first night. That's what that means in the movie. And uh Basically, it means the the Lord gets to sleep with the wife of anyone who is getting married in his village. It's sanctioned rape. It's sanctioned rape. Yes. Right. So and it's so, and it's his right as a nobleman. And the nobleman right. says that multiple times. And uh, yeah, like you said, sanctioned rape. So so feudalism was a fascinating era because in feudalism, think of a huge pyramid. And you have the king at the top. And then underneath the king, you had the, you know, I don't know what the titles were, but let's say you had dukes and barons, right? People who were, they weren't the owners, but they were the effective owners of large swaths of land. And then underneath them, you have the actual sort of lords, right? The lord of the manor. And, and under a duke might be various manors. And then under the, the lord, you might have a handful I mean, really, literally a handful of like free men. And then you have a bunch of serfs who are tied to the land. And at some point, the system became that each person in this pyramid had obligations to fund the lifestyle of the person above you. So the serfs were obviously funding the lords. But then the king would say, you know, I'm providing defense for you guys. In order to do that, I need men and I need horses and I need money. So you, dukes and barons, whatever, you owe me a steady stream of all of those things. And the barons, like, how am I going to get you, you know, a thousand soldiers and a hundred horses and however many gold, you know, doubloons or whatever? Well, you got to figure it out. Well, you go down below you and you steal from the level before. Now, I use the word steal and a historian's going to say, no, 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 no. That was called tax. That was called rents. That was called fines. And they have all these like really cute names in England that kind of make you laugh. And you mentioned one, you know, the the the, the Lord's right to to sleep with uh, a, a newly married a woman. They would give a name for this thing. But it really what it is, is I have the right to take it. That's what this is about. Yep. So, so civil the legal court, right. The yeah, legal the legal right. right. Now, you could say, no, 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 no. You don't have the legal right to take it. But the point is, who's going to question it and who's going to stop it? You have the right to take that horse under a claim of legitimacy. And once you've taken it, it's up to that person. And if you think of Monty Python, think of somebody in the mud with dirty face and dirt under their fingernails, who is not even the owner of anything tangible, doesn't have a penny to his or her name. You're going to get a lawyer 
to go to wherever the court is, which at that point used to, by the way, follow the king. So if you wanted to sue the king, you literally had to follow, find where the king was because the court followed the king um, at some point in time. Uh, so so that's, you didn't have any recourse. So it was sort of fait accompli. Once it was taken, it became lawful. Who's going to question it? Um, and so as I understand it, the Magna Carta in 1215 was about a bunch of people saying, this is BS, This you can't do this to us anymore. But it wasn't everybody. It wasn't, this wasn't every person, every man and woman in England. It was literally just the noblemen, right? It was the right. people in the middle of the pyramid who said, stop crapping on me, right? Now, did they immediately turn around and say, but we're, and to be consistent, we're gonna stop crapping on the people below us? Of course not, right? So the 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 the, no, the nobility are still going to take from the serfs and the free men, you know the 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 um, the blacksmith, right? Uh, if a blacksmith has uh, uh, two horses, literally anything that can move around, you can tax them. And if you're in a pinch and you need a horse for the king, and your blacksmith has been you know crushing it uh, at work and can afford a second horse. You're going to take that horse and say, you owe me tax. You owe me fill in the blank. Doesn't matter. You're going to do it. You're going to get away with it. So the Magna Carta was about putting a limit on the king's ability to do that to you. Um, and, and there's a lot of interesting stuff in the Magna Carta. Again, I'm not a historian. Uh, there's also side note stuff in the Magna Carta that's completely racist and sexist, which is like literally edited out of online versions because they don't want you to know that part of the Magna Carta had to do with how you pay pay back any sum of money that you owe to a Jew, because <laughs> apparently that has that's a big you know that that has to have a special provision. Of course, um, if it's you like if you owe money to a Jew, you don't have to pay interest, uh, or your if and you die, your spouse doesn't have to pay interest on that. Oh my God, that loan or your children if they're underage. Anyway, let's so let's pretend that there's not there, that stuff. In there the is a Jew clause, literally. There's two. There's two uh, uh, clauses directed at Jewish people. And then Great. there's also um, my favorite, which is no one shall be arrested or imprisoned on the appeal, I think, which means the testimony of a woman for the death of any person except her husband. So if you kill someone and a woman witnesses it, you can't be imprisoned unless by some error of judgment, you killed that woman's husband. Because they're and worthless. Means, then, then you can be arrested. So their opinion, they, their opinion does not matter. Right. Awesome. So, so, so obviously people are i think loosely familiar with the magna carta and i think the main one people know is that for a trivial offense defined trivial uh it's not there i don't believe a, a free man shall be fined only in proportion to the degree of his offense and for a serious offense correspondingly but not so heavily as to deprive him of his livelihood and in, in the same way a merchant shall be spared his merchandise um <clears throat> And, uh, and and none of these fines shall be imposed except by the assessment on oath of reputable men of the neighborhood. So apparently now reputable men of the neighborhood can assess a fine, right? And in civil forfeiture sounds like the same thing on the oath of a reputable person in your neighborhood, they can take your money, right? Yeah. So it's not, this isn't a very like, like a, 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 a squiggly line. It's a straight line from 1215 to today right of what civil forfeiture is is about um there's other things in the magna carta i'm not going to do all of them you know they talk about you can't take your wood without the consent of an owner so the king could just drive through your forest 
and just hack down your trees because he needs the wood. And you're like, no, 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 you can't take my wood unless I allow you to do that. And, so well, and I these... like one of my favorites is no free man shall be seized or imprisoned or stripped of his rights or possessions or outlawed or exiled or deprived of his standing in any way, nor will we proceed with force against him or send others to do so except by the lawful judgment of his equals or by the law of the land. Right. So, so, so it's like oh, oh, these these rules exist because this crap was happening, right. you know? But, Absolutely. And there were bad kings and good kings. And what would happen is things might be seem okay during a good king's reign. And then all it takes is a bad king for everyone to be like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, sort of like what we went through in, you know, the last administration when you realize that, wait a minute, one person can say something and that becomes like the law uh you know that that doesn't sound kosher no so there was and, this effort to clamp down on on the power of the king right uh, and that that uh, uh but if you read the magna carta and i urge people to do that what you're seeing everything is really telling you in reverse right whatever they say no sheriff shall do no sheriff uh shall take horses or carts per, for transport from any free man without his consent what that's telling you is sheriffs absolutely could take your horse for transport without your consent why do you have to say you can't do that because obviously they were doing it. um and of course we still have a sheriff system in this country so now you start to sort of try to connect all these dots um so the magna carta is 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 held up as like this great document right of democracy and and I was I was taught in school that Magna Carta was great and and everything you needed to know was in it, and then it from that it's a small pebble a toss to the U.S. Constitution, right? Right. And nothing else of any interest happened in the middle. Well, that's of course not true. So one of the things that happened about a hundred and and fifty years or so later was the peasants of England. So these are the people who. And I'm not going to get into, again, the exact nuances between serfs and peasants, et cetera, et cetera. A, because I don't fully understand them. B, I don't think it's relevant. But the peasants thought, well, gee, if we if they can have basic rights, why can't we have basic rights? And so the right. peasants uh, uh, revolted and and it didn't go well for them. And the thing that they were mainly rebelling against was a poll tax. And you're like, oh, what's that sounds stupid. What's a poll tax? Well, apparently... Uh, and and people who recognize the, the year 1381 will know that's during the Hundred Years' War. So England is fighting literally a hundred year war against uh, uh, whoever, the French, some uh, somebody in France. And that's expensive. And they keep running out of money, the English uh, monarchy. So they keep trying to raise more funds with these poll taxes. And the poll taxes are disproportionately devastating on poor people. Right. Uh, you, you know, even if they're done proportionally, which one attempted to be, I believe, but the but most of them were um, regressive. Right. right? The, the poorer you were, the more you paid. Um, and and so that was uh, uh, obviously devastating. And I don't know how popular the war was. Probably wasn't that popular. Um, another thing that was going on was Black Death. And Black Death had an uh, interesting effect, which is that it killed, I think, one in two working men in England at that time. Not sure I have the numbers right. right. But basically, just imagine you're the blacksmith and, you know, your competition is maybe a mile away in the next hamlet. But all of a sudden, that guy's dead. Yeah. 
So you're going to be like rolling in money and you're going to be like telling the Lord, Hey, give me more money or I'm out. I'm going to get on my horse that you haven't taken. And I'm going to ride over to the next, the, ne the next, uh, manor. Um, and we'll see what that guy wants to offer. And, and that created a real crisis because all of a sudden serfs were like, beginning to get economic freedom, whether or not it was legal freedom, I don't know, but they were starting to get economic freedom, which is they could move elsewhere, uh, you know, without the consent or forcing uh, their Lord to give consent. Um, and so what that was doing was putting pressure on the landowners to do something um, because this wasn't, you know, it wasn't good for them. Economically, this was terrible for the, the upper class or the, the higher classes and better for the lower classes. Laborers could charge more for work. Um, and so what happened was there was an effort to clamp down on them. And so this issue of poll taxes, really there was this polarization and it didn't really matter what you were actually fighting about. What this was really about was poor people wanted freedoms, economic freedom basically. And there was a bunch of people who were hell bent to make sure that that didn't happen. Um, and so, uh, you know, long story short, they get crushed, right? The peasants get crushed. They yeah. don't do what they want. Um, the law that the, the, they they coerced the 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 crown into agreeing to things out of just sheer terror, right? Certain lords were beheaded. This was like the the French Revolution before the French Revolution, and so it, the concessions were made. And as soon as the the protest was put down. Uh, those laws were rescinded as having been pa passed under duress. And so what happened was nothing changed in the plight of the peasant uh, uh, in a genuine sense. Um, and and, and uh, in, at that time, in order to deal with this issue, co new courts, manorial courts, had been uh, either created or expanded that allowed uh, lords or uh, uh, people above you to say that you're in violation of a or that a fine or levy is going to be imposed or something, right? Again, doesn't it matter if it's really true or not? Um, and uh, and and so there was this system that had to come up, uh, uh, be designed uh, to deal with this increasing uh, displacement of of wor uh, working class people, um, and and the fact that uh, th the whole economy could basically uh, uh, crumble to the earth if some order wasn't restored. So that's what the peasant uprising was about. Um, and essentially what it, the proposition that I think it stands for is that there's always gonna be a need to be able to squeeze money out of the poor people, right? If you're only gonna fund your war from rich people, you're not gonna fund a very big war, right? As we know in the United States, the, the battle over taxes is about the middle class, right? You need the money from the middle class. So we're talking 1381, right? That's when- 1381. There was no middle class back then, or, or rather there was, and it was tiny. So if you were going to fund a war, you had to fund it um, by going after the poorer people. And so that, that uh, 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 system, which people were trying to burn, literally burn to the ground, they failed. Um, and, and in a sense, we doubled down on that system. And after that, the English got better about raising dues and uh, duties and taxes. Um, if ships were evading paying dues, they authorized people to seize those ships, probably gave bounties 
to them. You know, the whole concept of piracy was created by this system to be better at extracting wealth um, from people who are trying to uh, uh, evade your um, uh, 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 system to, to, to claim money. So now you fast forward to um, to the uh, to the United States, and and if you think civil forfeiture has always been around, which would be reasonable based on this idea, of, oh, we 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 drew we derived this concept from England, right? Well, not really. Civil forfeiture kind of was not really a thing. Uh, certainly not what it is today. Um, although the U.S. government quickly adopted the practices of the Crown, meaning. Uh, people were evading uh, taxes in the U.S. Um, and, and and pirating and 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 moving cargo around illegally. This so was seizing ships and, and cargo, right? Yeah, because there was and, a lot of wealth with the smugglers for our the new government of the U.S. This was early in, in the U.S. history, right? So people who were trying to evade taxes, you know, were um, and 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 think of all we talk we hear about these trading routes, right? So like molasses uh coming from you know wherever in the caribbean and rum um and obviously slave slaves were being uh, shipped around uh tobacco all this stuff and there were people who were skirting the law and so you needed a system to sort of deputize or uh, you know incentivize people to seize their cargo so that concept stayed around but it really was dormant until 1970 when Nixon, and th this is, I think, a matter of, of, of undisputed record now that, that you know, Nixon's idea for the war on drugs was intentionally racist and anti-left wing, right? Right. Well, that's, that, I mean, Ehrlichman said that, his right-hand man, it, yeah. it copped to that. So that, that was the whole reason for it, was to be able to legally jail his political enemies and minorities to score political points with his base. Right. And at this point, drugs were sort of like this issue that was on the side. Um, the, 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 the mainstream media and the police had been trying to create hysteria about drugs for a few decades, you know, reefer madness and all this stuff. Um, and, 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 you know, this was the beginning of sort of LSD as a thing. And, you know, there's sort of this percolating issue of drugs. And Nixon rightly, I mean, rather correctly identified that the, the American middle class would rally around a war on drugs. And, and, and some people would recognize that it's racist and some wouldn't, but would nevertheless support it. So you sort of had this like strong swath of support. It was just not a polarized issue. Um, but one of the things that, that was created or expanded in the 70s was this idea of civil forfeiture. Uh, and, and then it was um, expanded, and I didn't know this until just looking around recently, that in 1984, uh, under Reagan, there was the Federal Comprehensive Crime Control Act, which created this sort of incentive for police forces to sort of bulk up on drug arrests, right. because it, it meant that it increased the amount of money that you were able to split with the feds under a practice known as equitable sharing. So you sort of are like dangling this huge carrot, right, to uh, local police uh, forces. Um, and, you know, Bo people who are familiar with Boston police know Boston has this drug control unit. And uh, again, I'm thinking, oh, has this, has this thing been around since the, you know, the colonial era? No, of course not. Um, and there was a 
predecessor, which I believe only had one detective. And then in, in 1969 or 70, somewhere around there, 68, 69, they bulked it up to, I think, you know, 60 detectives or something like that. And so all of this emphasis on drugs as, as a major activity in law enforcement really happened around the time of Nixon's racist war on drugs. Um, and interestingly, there's there's a study that uh, that shows that um, civil asset forfeiture uh, incentives directly uh, uh, led to increases in drug arrests. Right, I think it was by twenty percent. So so some departments maybe ignored drugs, some didn't. The ones who didn't um, got money, and the drug arrests increased by by twenty percent. So it, it's sort of showing that this was this was intentional. This was an intentional prong of the law, both in seventy one and in eighty four, um, and uh, and obviously other police departments like Boston have their drug control units. We know from this podcast that um, you know you that, that drug detectives are sort of you know driving around doing God knows what um, and. Um, arresting people, but generally for low-level offenses, right? We, I think we've quoted that around 80% of the Massachusetts drug arrests are misdemeanors for, for low-level drug offenses. But all of the laws are not set up for that, right? Right. right. The, drugs, the drug laws were, were designed to go after kingpins. Um, and it really affects the sentencing guidelines and what makes you a kingpin has to do with how much you have. And it was presumed that if you have a certain amount, you're a kingpin. Um, and and a, I don't think we've ever really managed to put a dent in drug, the drug trade, uh, right? I'm, oh I'm sure no, it's it's getting worse and worse every year. Like that's right. that that's right. the joke of all of this is that this is in no way designed to stop people from using drugs. Right. And I I should just correct that it, I don't think it was sixty detectives. I think it was like thirty eight detectives in Boston's drug control unit, which is an increase of 37 over the predecessor vice unit. Um, so the next thing that happened after 84, which if you're old enough like me, you'll remember, was the crack hysteria, right? right? This idea that crack is going to completely destroy the entire free world. Um, and, uh, and, and so the war on crack, which, uh, uh, you know, has its own racist overtones, um, but really focused uh, 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 drug enforcement in certain types of neighborhoods, looking at certain types of activity, really looking at people with, I think, substance abuse problems, um, you know, my, my client uh, included. Um, and so that was the, the, the next uh, uh, event, at least in Massachusetts, which is in 1989, Massachusetts eased i.e. made it easier to do civil forfeiture. And we haven't really said what civil forfeiture is, but very, very uh, generally, it, the idea is the first step is you get, I don't even, well, I guess you have, you should be arrested, but I'm not even sure you have to be arrested, but you, they take your money. That's step one. The police takes your money. They can take other things. They can take your car. They can try to take your house. They can take your banjo. But let's be let's be clear about what we're really talking about here. You're in a car with some friends, and maybe there was a smell of marijuana. Maybe they there's a joint found on the floor of the car. You know, whatever. Maybe you look glassy eyed. 
doesn't matter. Uh, you could be having furtive glances left and right. Um, there's all kinds of little ver verbal tricks that police can put in a police report to say that you're engaged in drug activity. And 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 remember Martha Coakley saying that's what we're criminalizing is drug drug behavior, right? It's the activity that's criminal, not what you're actually possessing. Right. Um, and so now, and you have $200, $400, $1,000 in your pocket. Doesn't matter whether you work at a restaurant and you're paid in cash. Doesn't matter if that's your week's uh, um, savings. Doesn't, doesn't matter. They, they can say, I deem it to be the proceeds, the fruit of your you know, poisonous tree. I take it. So just like the Lord and... Uh, in the feudal era, step one is you take the money. Now, step two, which has many nested parts, is really let's make it all legal, right? So how do you make it legal? Well, at some point, and apparently prior in Massachusetts, it could be almost you know never, or it could be many years later, there has to be an action filed to say, this is, you know, th th we're taking this money. Does anybody object? That's at least how the system should work. Um, and Massachusetts in 1989 changed the standard of proof that you needed for civil forfeiture um, to the lowest possible bar, uh, which is that you only need probable cause. So it's so so the whole concept is you're you're allegedly guilty of a crime that you haven't been convicted of yet. We don't even know if you will be convicted. In fact, you don't have to be convicted. We'll get to that. Um, but I, the, the same probable cause that led me to arrest you or to search you and find drugs or to roll down your window and, and, and ask you where you're headed, that level of probable cause, which is um, not enough to convict, is enough to take your money. That was the change in 1989. Um, and so what happened was, um, and, and by the way, we should say that that step three is assuming the person doesn't hire a lawyer with the money they don't have, right? If you're take if you have five hundred dollars and the police take it, guess what? You don't have money to hire a lawyer anymore because the money that you did have is gone, right? So now you need to find other money to hire a lawyer with, and most lawyers won't even take a small civil forfeiture case. So if that money is you, if you forfeit it or you don't get the notice that you have to claim it, which happens, or you can't do anything about it. Uh, that money goes 100% to law enforcement, right? It's shared, I think, in Massachusetts with DA's offices and local police, but 100% yes. of that goes, gets recycled into the war on drugs. Right, um, and that was what Kevin Burnham was into, like evidence room people would just get those wads of cash, right, from from busts, and, um, and then they'd have to redistribute it back to... Um, they'd have to send it back to the DA's office because the DA, they were the ones that distributed it out, correct? Is that how it worked? Right, but there's a there's another layer to it, right? Which is how much money did you take, right? That's an interesting right. question. How much money did you take? Um, and, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's a little bit uh, sort of the, the elephant that's in the room that no one talks about is when you're arrested, for having $1,200 on you, um, who's to say that that's what you're arrested with, right? The police right. are gonna write down the number. And what we learned from the Framingham case and from, from Burnham is they could easily go in and say he was arrested with $1,000. Right. Um, 
and uh, and so uh, you're, you're sort of and 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 maybe they write down a thousand dollars and then someone asks questions and they say, oh, I typo, I meant eight hundred, right? I mean that you know the, the, this thing could melt like a snowball, um, and so the the prosecutors are never going to say, show me proof of how much money you seized. They're just going to say, I see that you claim you got this amount. Right. Where's our cut? And then the evidence officer guy. Could be like Kevin Burnham and say, and tell the arresting officer, "Oh, you dummy, you! What did you go to public school? Remember his line that he used every single time? You right. gave me this, and it was always short. Right, right. You you said it was a thousand bucks, and it was nine hundred. Right. It it sort of reminds it reminds me of the Rob Reiner joke, where a kid asks his his dad for money. He says, Dad, can I borrow $40? And his dad says, $30. What do you need $20 for? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's it, it the the first weakness in the system is that you don't even know how much money you're talking about. Right. And then the second weakness is that there's no reason to put the cart before the horse. There's no reason to take that money until you have a conviction. There's no right. reason. I know law enforcement claims all kinds of reasons. But they're not valid, right? If, if in no. this country, we put all our eggs in the innocent until proven guilty basket. Yeah. And until someone stands up and says, I reject that that deal, which I've never heard someone say, I reject that deal, right? Uh, you know, we're a society supposedly uh, with, uh, with the consent of the governed. Someone can stand up and say, I don't like this. I like the other systems that they use in other countries where you're guilty. This is true. Guilty until proven innocent. Go a bit, be my guest and stand up and say, you want to live in that country, but we live in a country where you're innocent and proven guilty, and yet your money doesn't know that, right? Your money's gone um, if you're arrested under the the, uh, the wrong circumstances. Um, and you don't even have to be arrested. I mean, the reality is under threat of arrest, the police could say, I'll take your money and it'll be better for you, right? So think right. about this. This is like protection. This is like a protection racket. And, you know, when I was little, I never understood how protection rackets worked because it seemed like this is dumb. Don't you just call the police and then they they arrest the people and it's all over? No, this is why we have protection rackets. And we've always had protection rackets, right? We've always had them. It's just that in the feudal era, we called it something different. And, and, um, uh, and, and it was, you know, only in the 20th century that when we, we think of protection rackets as being the mafia, Right. Right. Um, which, by the way, uh, another thing that I realized, civil forfeiture was revitalized during prohibition. Because it wasn't enough to smash the casks of alcohol when you raided a, 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 a still. Um, well, but you also could seize anything that you got, the, equipment, the money. And guess who were the primary victims of of uh, alcohol smuggling operations? They were, you know, that was this was like heavily Italian and Irish uh, 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 smuggling operations, and so there was like this glee as uh, some, you know, police officer with an axe is is, uh, 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 you know, slicing open three out of the four uh, 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 barrels of alcohol, right? And don't ask where the fourth barrel ends up, right? But right. That's so. So there, there's always been this sort of tinge of culture war going on in civil forfeiture. Uh, and 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 so what we have now with the war on drugs is deeply steeped in the, the, this sort of history of culture war. Um, right. 
So anyway, so going back to uh, Massachusetts, so uh, uh, Policing for Profit did a review of state, all 50 state civil forfeiture laws, and we've mentioned this, they gave Massachusetts an F. And, sure. you know, the first thing I was like, oh, but, you know, but I'm sure other states fail too. But like Massachusetts was the worst, yeah. right? Massachusetts, <laughs> like people, people in Arkansas and Mississippi were pointing at Massachusetts and laughing. That's how bad Massachusetts ranked. That is unbelievable. But hold on, just to rewind to, to prohibition. Yeah. I think like what we're dealing with now is prohibition. It's pro it's modern pro it's an evolved prohibition. Um, and I think that the people who want to profit from stuff like making thing making vice illegal and then police and other government agencies profiting from people with vice are constantly learning from from what they've done in the past and i think the problem with prohibition is it was it targeted drugs alcohol that was overly popular too many people enjoy alcohol so if you target something like that that's popular like that you're you're not going to be successful and that's why prohibition was only how long did it last like 10 years maybe yeah, uh, maybe not even, but it, yeah. and it was right. It's taught as a failure, and yet right. we pretend that now, when with drugs, it'll we'll get a different outcome. Right, or they don't even they don't even equate the two. Like right. it's so funny how like people just don't get that. Like we are making like we made Al Capone. Al Capone would not have existed if if it was today and you're just selling alcohol, Al Capone existed because we made alcohol illegal and he saw, you know, a way to get people what they wanted, i.e. alcohol. Right. And, um, and the drug Mexican drug cartels are the same exact thing. They're right. the same thing. And there's they even are the Al Capone of today and they are created by us because there is a need and a desire for drugs. Right. Um, and, you know, it's a good point. The The other similarity between prohibition and the war on drugs is that when 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 you end the failed effort, right, in prohibition, they 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 legalized alcohol again. But they did something that I didn't actually realize until I looked at this. That's when they issued liquor licenses. So they didn't just say rip up the laws and go back to the way things were. They actually restricted liquor licenses. And what that did was that created value for whoever got their hands on a liquor liquor license, and right. you can guess who got you know uh, uh, liquor licenses. And this was just you know they were disproportionately directed towards certain classes of people, certain races, certain friends of politicians, and they didn't benefit all people equally. And we're doing the same thing now with marijuana by having restricted marijuana licenses, right? It's sort of ridiculous. It's like, oh uh, yeah, what, who was the guy that that uh, used to prosecute drug crimes and now? Yeah, is not, it's a uh, former DA that owns like dispensary, multiple right. dispensaries now. It's amazing. right. He's like, I want a piece of that action, and that's you know, there's nothing, there's no, there's nothing, you know, I would say directly wrong with it, but there's something unfathomably wrong with having vigorously and zealously prosecuted the war on drugs. And then turn around and say, ah, it was all a joke. You know, uh, I just I just uh, call him as I see him. But now I see that this is a good way to make money. I mean, that's 
that's absurd. Um, and uh, but there's this there's this desire to shape and control the the, the things that we do with alcohol with drugs. Um, and it, it, but it's so you're right. It's not really black and white. Like this is evil. We shouldn't do it, right? We sort of sort of hedge and say, well, you, we shouldn't do it. But if the if the if it's politically not going to work, then let's make sure that you and I profit off of this the the, the sales um, and maybe not other people. So there's always been that hypocrisy baked into the war on drugs. Um, but so BUR and ProPublica did an investigation. And, you know, I don't want to go through everything, but I think I'll just pick on Worcester County because they had some good numbers. So Worcester County, they looked at all forfeitures in 2018. So that's not that long ago, right? You can't argue, oh, this was in the past. And they found that one in four did not have an associated drug conviction. Or even a, a criminal case. So stealing, one in four. Stealing, stealing, stealing. One right. in four. Um, and um, uh, fewer than, I, I believe overall, fewer than half actually resulted in a conviction, but some of them didn't even have a filing. Um, oh 9% had no publicly available court records on either side, right? So one of the things that they do that's pretty nefarious is they separate the civil forfeiture action from the criminal action. And any lawyer in Massachusetts can tell you, we have like the worst online system for finding a case. It's almost impossible to find a criminal case until you happen to know the case number or the exact name of the defendant. Um, civil cases are a little easier to find, but you got to know which not a, you got to know which county to look in, and you got to know whether it's superior court, district court. It's very hard to find a case in Massachusetts. We we literally have the worst system that uh, uh, that that is computerized that I can imagine. I'd rather go to a room with like you know card catalogs. Uh, and and look for a case that way sometimes than look for a case in Massachusetts. But it is all uh, intentional. Right. Because, so it makes I mean, it hard for where lawyers I, to advise their clients like, hey, you know, you got the civil forfeiture case, you got a deadline in it. Um, you know, you got to do something, right? It makes it hard for the lawyer to give that advice. And and dude, I'm in biotech, which is, you know, where I work, the space I work in, I do a uh, part of my job is finding software applications that help digitize um, paper records, right? There are so many software applications out there now that can easily digitize an archive where you can find things in two seconds right. via, via keyword searches. And, and there's also applications out there, AI applications that can read documents for you it like go through PDFs, it read the PDFs. So basically what they do for um, public records requests, that can be done by AI for free with software applications. Right, right. And we've talked about how public record requests get ignored yeah. or, or uh, uh, get uh, receive a short shrift. But, but, um, but the you know, so, you know, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. These court records and behind public records is all intentional. It's um, all intentional. It's a big the other thing. Yeah. Another thing BUR found is that there were 500 instances, 500 between 2016 and 2019, where the money had been in the custody of somebody, police or DA, um, for a decade or more before anyone had attempted to notify the person and given them a chance to get their money back. Right. I mean, and one case was from 1990. So think about that. Now, <laughs> another thing that just to make a, a, an obvious point, 
that you know when they seize your money you don't get interest no god no right this is one of the few times where when someone detains your money you don't get interest and 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 if the government took a thousand bucks from you in 1990 i haven't run it but what would that be worth today i'll give i'll i'll, I'll I, i'm not sure but i'll tell you one thing for 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 certain it won't be a thousand bucks it won't be worth a thousand bucks today if they took it in 1990 um and so there's another example of how uh it doesn't make sense if you want to take the money uh, post conviction fine you know that's that's a, a, a societal judgment that i could live with either way you know um you know if you want to tack on fines for for incarceration you know we talk about this that that's that's part of the the decision making that the the, the voters do, um, but the idea that the, that somebody else decides what money is taken from you, and when, if ever, you're notified about it, and when, if ever, you get a chance to 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 do anything about it, um, uh, and I think you know the the, the they the, the, we we'll get into some terrible you know examples of the excesses, but I think you know there there was mention about the money that was taken was going to um, you know, buy a Zamboni and tree trimming equipment. Um, and and a lot of the money uh, in Worcester County went back into things that are popular, like softball fields and che supporting cheerleading teams. So it's a way of buying off the public, right? To right. get the public to support the war on drugs. Um, and, uh, you know, there and were 90... Who would fight against that? Who would say, you know, like, oh, we're, we're doing these public services and we're taking money from drug dealers they get to pretend to be robin hood but what what they don't say is one in four of these people were not actually convicted of anything and that's yeah. what the public is completely ignorant against right and and and, and also you like we, we have all these right wingers screaming all the time about like i always go back to it but the whole wearing mask shit right they were screaming about our civil rights are being violated blah 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 they, not a single goddamn one of them is screaming about the police literally stealing from people who have not been convicted of a crime, stealing right. their money. Right. Well, that, I think on a national basis, that's starting to shift a little bit because, you know, white people are, are now starting to get cranky because once you've taken money from everyone else, you know, the, the police are going to turn to to who, whoever still has it. Uh, and so there are, there are high profile sort of notorious cases, which are intriguingly almost, I mean, I don't want to say almost always, but the ones that catch the media's eye seem to be sort of white people, right? So this was okay when it was somebody, when it was the other person losing their car or or their all of their, uh, you know, uh, cash savings. Um, but as soon as now, you know, the, the, the white businessman gets his car taken, no, that's a bridge too far. Um, but so, uh, uh, you know, and 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 people, uh, you know, there's an uh, there's an assumption that civil forfeiture is even valid, meaning that you know when they take your car, it's because they're within the letter of when you can take a drug dealer's car. But what if you're not a drug dealer? WBUR found 90 instances where people lost their cars um, during traffic stops, even though there wasn't a drug conviction or even drug charges, right? Well, what who knows what you were charged with? And um, you know this reminds me of something that got kind of left to the side, which was, you know, the murder of Tyree Nichols, right, in Memphis. This has right. been in the news. And 
there, by there's the all scorpion this the squad or whatever the scorpion unit right yeah. which is like named after like serbian ethnic cleansing units paramilitary units but anyway right. um nothing could go wrong there but no, what yeah. What what could go wrong with like actively calling your your like naming your units and and what's going on in L.A. We could do a a whole show on that. Like L.A.'s got literal gangs in their sheriff's right. department that, right. that like run the sheriff's department. They get promoted for being savages for for you know killing and maiming and being vicious. Like they love it. It's so crazy. Right, and I think that was the idea of Scorpion. But the thing that I that caught my eye was. I was curious, what did they say about Scorpion in the, when when they started it? Because right, you know, when times were good, what did they say about it? Because they disbanded it like in the blink of an eye. I've never seen a police unit get disbanded so quickly, right? Um, a, a, as it did in the case of Scorpion and the murder of, uh, of of Tyree Nichols. So, you know, to me, that's a poker tell, right? When you disband the unit that quickly, you knew it was wrong all along. So, what did they say about Scorpion in the beginning, and what what? Uh, and remember that he was supposedly arrested for uh, reckless driving. Was that uh, yes, very subjective? That was the the pretext for pulling yeah. him over. Right. So that's a very subjective thing, right? Reckless driving. I mean, if I were allowed to pull people over for reckless driving, my commutes would be super entertaining. Um, but uh, uh, and so this is Chief Davis, right? When they announced this Scorpion unit, that he said that they would target people in the city, driving in the city. And, and he said, our efforts are not just to write citations and send them on their way. When we identify individuals who are reckless driving to the point where others are in danger, we want to take your car too. That's what this is This is about. This is about like taking people's cars as a, a point of intimidation. As a, this, right. is, you know, this is financial terrorism in its, in its purest form. Um, so going back to so BUR, um, they, uh, they found that that about more than half the seizures were for less than $500. Uh, in one incident, Fitchburg police seized $10 from a man listed as homeless. Um, in Sturbridge, they took $10 from a 14-year-old boy. I mean, you know, you, again, you're you're thinking <laughs> they about take this. His lunch, they take his milk money? Right. Like, right. You're thinking about like this as like, oh, this is how you combat high-level crime. But no. Um, and by the way, the, we never do this with right when when Purdue Pharma was accused of um, of of killing people and starting an opi opioid epidemic. We didn't do civil forfeiture. We didn't just take oh. their corporate offices and say, "See you in court." You know, you wait till you get a conviction and then you find them and you do this and you do that. Yeah. So we're not. And they use their this, lawyers to fight the fines forever. You know. Right. I mean, you know, again, if we if we apply this consistently, I think Americans would be horrified by the idea of civil forfeiture um, and would say categorically, we don't want this. But um, but again, it's been under the surface. Um, the uh, in 2019, it was revealed that Boston police had purchased uh, what I'm going to call dubious surveillance equipment, dubious because it it encourages illegal behavior um, uh, in the form of, um, I forget the name of the device, but um, it, it, it's the one that like ha hacks into your cell phone or, or rather it tricks your cell phone into connecting to it, thinking it's a cell tower um, and, uh, and they can listen to your phone conversation. Uh, and 
we, we know that these devices turned up in Washington, D.C., and there was this big fear that it was the Chinese and, oh, no, or the Russians. Oh, my God, this is like, you know, this, we need to do something about this. But if the city of Boston decides to get these same devices, that's okay. But the reason no one knew about it is because they used $600,000 of civil forfeiture money. So first of all, think about that, that you could have $600,000 in a slush fund unknown to the public outside of any accountant or audit, uh, accountant review or audit, uh, just waiting to buy something that would, if you did it publicly, would raise hackles. Right. And then, oh, not surprise, surprise, we used it only 106 times. And I'm not sure I'm going to believe that it was only used 106 times, unless one of those times was like for eight months on lots of people. Right. <laughs> but they right. said that we used it 106 times, of which 70, we had a court order. Well, okay, doing some math here, that means 36 times there was no court order. And, and you know, lawyers are bad at math, but one thing I can do is I can take two thirds of any number or one third of any number, that's one third of the time they didn't have a court exactly. order. Exactly. And that's <laughs> and that's assuming they're being honest. Did anyone actually check to see how many times they use a court order? No, I'm sure that, that that illegal surveillance equipment doesn't produce like these like uh data logs, right? You know, yeah. there's no there's no like audit audit trail. Um so so and the point of that is that this is money that's beyond the the view of the public. So it's it's undemocratic. It's out of uh, sight. We can't say how that money should be used, and that's why the police departments are fighting to keep civil forfeiture. And in order to keep civil forfeiture, they have to keep the war on drugs. Right. And in order to keep the war on drugs, you need to have drug labs. Right. But you start to see sort of like how this thing is backwards. Right. You need this to have like drug labs that always give you the result you are looking for. Oh, absolutely. Because think that about not the, whose integrity is not questioned. So it's the state police now um, who, you know, and, and prior to that, it was the Hinton lab that was supposed to be independent, the Amherst lab that wasn't associated. It was the Department of Public Health that wasn't the police that were right. running these labs. So think of the nightmare scenario. Let's take my client. OK. And let's say that DCU arrests him with what they thought was $20 of crack, but it turns out it was a crushed up cashew. But let's say that he had been to, um, you know, a local charity and they gave him a hundred dollars. And the police say, well, you look like a crackhead so that you can't have any legitimate other sources of money. So we're going to take that hundred. Now mm -hmm. let's say the lab legitimately tests his sample and they come back negative. How do you how do you put that horse back in the barn? That money's already been, you know, who knows what happened to that money? May right. not be in the evidence room. It may have been it wasn't 100. Now it was uh, it was only 40. You know, there's very real problems if you have to return that person's money. <laughs> and so there's a there's a there's a sense. And, and you know, in our case with the lab, it's hard. No one's done this investigation. So it's hard to really pick it, pick apart uh, any fact patterns. But there's this sort of whiff that the lab was covering for the dirty police departments. Right. And the dirty police And the dirty DAs. Right. And the dirty police departments knew who to call when they needed a conviction. They knew who would give them their result every... Right. Every, so, every single time. And so that was Andy Dukin 
Um, the, and dude, it bears it out in the emails. Yeah. The email, like one of the, I, I'll never forget when Annie told, um, what, what's her name? Uh, Deb Payton, the debonator, as she called herself from Norfolk County, who's now Deb Curley that still works at Norfolk County. Um, she, uh, after she got pulled off of testing after the June breach, if you guys remember, um, Annie, the, the pretext for Annie getting fired was she checked out samples um, in June of 2011 uh, for all for Norfolk County. It was like 90 samples or 70 samples. I can't remember how many. Um, and she checked them out without logging them out of the evidence room. And for that, they took her off of testing. And um, she told Norfolk County's Deb um, Curley that she had gotten, quote, promoted um, and she wasn't doing, uh, you know, that much testing anymore. Never said she was completely pulled off. She just said, like, she was doing other duties. And Deb Curley or Deb uh, Payton's response was, in all caps, no, 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 I need you. Why did she need a certain chemist? Right. You know? why, like, yeah, that, why would you care? Why would you care? Right. It, 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 it's because she was the magic wand. Like she was their white knight. She And what did they give her for all of that service and for helping them out and going the extra mile and bending over right. backwards? They literally fucked her over harder than anyone in like two. She got two years, two and a half years um and like for for helping them that is how right. crazy the state is right and 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 you know the 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 unraveling of of hinton was i believe followed by the unraveling of the braintree evidence room scandal right and the unraveling of amherst was followed by the unraveling of detective burnham's little um scheme and right. again we no one's done the investigation to connect the dots, uh, but to me that's not a coincidence that those th things happen in that order. Because I think you know I remember Farak advising people on how things should be counted at the request of Kevin Burnham. Right. So why is she doing his his? Why is she helping him set lab practice? Right. I would tell I would tell him how we're going to do business not tell other people in the lab how Kevin Burnham wants you to do business. Right. And so to me, I think that there was uh, some knowledge or complicity. Again, no one's done that investigation. We we may never know because, uh, you know, tragically, both evidence room scandals ended in suicide. Um, and Farrakh and Dukin won't talk, uh, I don't believe. No, um, never, never, never. And never. they're never going to talk. Uh, and they've, they've already, uh, you know, done their time. Um, so there's no incentive for them uh, to do anything now. Um, so, uh, but that's the that's the issue that people haven't really focused on, which is when you take money from somebody in the wrong order, you're doing it on the the lick and promise that that money is going to be yours, right? And if some egghead can down the road mess that up for you, you're going to be pretty unhappy, right? And we know that, that civil forfeiture is a one-way, it's a one-way street, right? Remember the poor woman who wanted her money back? And she had to go, th she had to jump through hoops. And at the end of the day, Burnham had to go and, and like go to his ATM and take out the money because he'd already 
consumed it. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, and I can't believe that that happens, you know, programmatically, meaning, you know, I can't believe that every time someone is acquitted of drug charges, that, that somebody has to go to their own ATM. I think that's a big problem. So better avoid that by, by making sure there's no unnecessary acquittals. Um, and so that, that I think is how civil forfeiture ties in. Again, this is my impression, but that's how I think it ties into the drug lab scandal. Um, and it would be nice if someone could do, uh, um, you know, a closer ex examination of the people in, in uh, who the, 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 the truly worst case examples of misconduct at the drug lab. Again, not limited to Annie Dukin or Sonia Farrakh, right? We've heard lots of uh, uh, testimony. We've heard lots of, we, uh, we've talked about lots of evidence. It wasn't just Annie Dukin. It wasn't just Sonia Frock. It was the entire lab. Yes. Um, and, you know, let's talk about like these BZP cases. How much cash was seized in the BZP cases? And, and no it was knows. beyond just the entire lab. It was the lab director. It was the governor. It was the governor's, like, I mean, it. this is so far reaching. It was the police. It was the DAs. It was the. It was, it. It was the whole state. I mean, it was. It was a lot of the leadership of this state was in right. on all of this crap, now, or at least in on the cover-up piece. They may not have known known what was going on, but I mean, when when the attorney general of the state lies in front of the Supreme Court about what's going on in these cases, and the and the the state takes a case to prevent chemists from testifying all the way to the Supreme Court to try to stop it, you know they knew that they were fucked if these chemists went on the stand. Eventually they would be, like something would be exposed. Right. And and I don't know if we need to go through specific like horror stories. As I said, I don't know why one horror story is worse than another, um, but maybe, uh, Jamie, you can post um, uh, some of the links that we have. Americans americansforprosperity.org yep. has an article on civil asset forfeiture horror stories. Forbes did a piece uh, in October uh, tw uh, 2021 um, with some detailing some additional horror stories. So, uh, you know, if there's a glimmer of good news, two things have happened. One, in 2019, the Supreme Court in, in the Timms versus Indiana case um, issued a pretty good decision um, uh, by a judge who I think is no longer with us. So I question whether that, you know, today's court would have reached the same decision. Um, but um, it was a case involving a man who was arrested with $225 worth of heroin. And I don't know, Jamie, do you know how much heroin is $225 worth of heroin? Uh, no, not offhand. Okay. Um, is it somewhere between a smidgen and a skosh. I think it's I think it's closer to a smidgen. I don't know. Yeah. $225 worth of heroin. And they seized his $42,000 Range Rover. <laughs> and the Supreme for Court a smidge of heroin. Yeah. The Supreme Court says that's grossly disproportionate. This is the Tim's decision. Um and therefore uh out of accord with the 14th Amendment right to due process. Um, uh, because it was grossly disproportionate to the seriousness of the crime. Now, right away, there's an issue there, right? The seriousness of the crime. So what right. we've done is we've now created this idea that if crime is serious, we can take your money. Well, the problem is 
that if you ask, uh, you know, a police detective over policing an inner city neighborhood, what's a, what's the most serious crime you deal with? You're going to get a very different answer than if you ask me, what's the right. most serious crime, right? Yep. So, and again, for the most serious crimes in this country, we do not just take everything and then say, we'll litigate it out later. I wish we did that. I wish we took every penny from, what was the Theranos woman? Oh, Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth Holmes. No, we not only did we not take all her money, but she paid for a super fancy defense. And she right. made the jury deliberate for a while, right? Right. Um, Purdue Pharma, we didn't just take their, their corporate buildings. Um, you know, we could have saved a, a, a whole bankruptcy, right? Um, uh, so we don't do that. We don't do, we don't just take everything from the most serious uh, uh, offenses. We do it based on uh, other judgments about what we actually, what, you know, certain people, really members of law enforcement think are serious. And there's no, there's no objectivity uh, or even pretense of uh, objectivity there. But in any event, that's the Tim's decision, which you're, which, um, <clears throat> which you'd say, great. So that had some effect in Massachusetts. One, uh, I think the SJC um, uh, turned, uh, 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 overturned a case or rather returned a woman's car that was confiscated for six years, um, in connection with her alleged son's, uh, drug trafficking, um, even though the son had died before the case finished, but they wanted to keep her car, right? She faced no charges. So they finally released the vehicle. I think they cited Tim's there. Um, there was a commission to look at uh, uh, civil forfeiture, and obviously the commission found that there were problems, recommended fixes. The Senate in 2022 passed a bill, um, 31 to 9, that, that would, these are not major reforms, by the way. One was to require the preponderance evidence standard, meaning get rid of the probable cause and go to preponderance of evidence. And if maybe we've never mentioned this on this podcast, but that's the civil standard. That is not the criminal standard. So, for example, I'll give you an example of someone who's guilty by a preponderance of evidence, but not beyond a reasonable doubt. OJ. OJ, to a preponderance of evidence, killed two people, but beyond a reasonable doubt, he was acquitted. So you can take OJ stuff, I suppose. Um, but what what is, what is the preponderance of evidence standard at the point where you're going to seize cash? Right. It's more likely than not. So obviously the police believe that everyone they're arresting is more likely than not guilty. So they're going to take all that that cash. It doesn't. So to me, this doesn't change anything. This is a pretty lukewarm uh, change. I, it should be beyond a reasonable doubt. If that's the standard to take your freedom, why is that not the standard to take your money? Right. So that's but but nevertheless, that's the reform. Number one, reform. Number two is you can't pursue cases for less than 250. So that would be super helpful for the heroin guy, right? Because he was at 225. So he'd, right, uh, um, you can't, you, you know, if 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 the if they're seizing less than 250 um, in, in cash, they can't do that. But more than 250, oh, I guess I, 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 I'm I wrong, right? They could go after the Range Rover, but just not the 225 in cash that maybe was with the heroin. Um, so, th but that's not a, it should be, a, you know, it's been recommended to raise that number to 1,000, you know, again, why even have a number uh, if you're just waiting for the conviction? I don't know. Um, and then there's also a, a, a provision that you have to give right to counsel to indigent in, in, uh, defendants. Well, that's great. But, you know, someone's going to figure out eventually that that's going to cost the taxpayer money and there's going to be a backlash. 
But I assumed that when that saw that last year, that that is now the law of Massachusetts. So in researching this episode, I looked, I can't find any evidence that the House has passed it. And certainly that Governor Healy has signed it, right? So what is the holdup here? Right. What is the holdup? The holdup is that Massachusetts, which is supposed to be a, some sort of liberal bastion, some sort of progressive place of deep thinkers, the reality is that you have police departments who are freaking out and causing members of the House in Massachusetts to fear for their ability to get reelected. That's what's happening. So they passed the Senate, congratulations, 31 to nine, right? But now where's, the, where's evidence that the House is even tackling this? Um, and so uh, that's, I think, the depressing part is despite Tim's, despite the commission, the special commission's review that, that uh, the policing for profit, that Massachusetts is the worst, um, despite everything that everybody knows, why is anyone still clinging to civil forfeiture as we right. know in Massachusetts? And I think, again, we know the answer. The answer is it's the necessary leg that the war on drugs stands on. It's right. one of the necessary legs and you kick it out and the war on drugs is going to fizzle. Right. And it, it funds it all. It does. It's their shadow slush fund. And, you know, people killing themselves over evidence officers, killing themselves over money like this whole it's so much bigger than we have any idea. I mean, there, there are store there are ridiculous stories that show how awful it is. There's, you know, there, there's all this stuff, but we don't know the real truth behind it. If we knew, if they, we were able to pull back the, the curtain and know the whole truth, we would all be collectively horrified. I know it. And it, I mean, it's just the beginning. And like you said, they're not doing anything to stop them, even though we're in last place. They don't, they're hoping people don't um, see that or understand it. And there's no public outrage and there isn't any public outrage. So that's why they're not doing anything. Right. Well, there, there will be public outrage when anyone ever has civil forfeiture done to them. Right. Right. So and, they know to do it to people who have no voice, right? Right. And and the reality is the government is, I guess I'll give the government credit, they're they're pretty politically savvy. So for example, when Trump organization uh is is um convicted of uh accounting fraud, which I believe is that that's a true fact, right? A true yes. statement they were convicted of of uh, accounting fraud. And to me that would put all the money cycled through the Trump organization, you know, uh, in sort of a dubious category. But there's no civil forfeiture sort of machine there, right? We don't we don't say, oh, naturally, I'm just going to go ahead and take all your money because you this must be the fruit of the poisonous tree. So, you know, by its nature, civil forfeiture is sort of married to drugs. It doesn't have to be. Um, and I hope people, you know, one of the takeaways from this uh, is that you should never um, try to go through an airport with more than $10,000 in cash because that's illegal and the airport police or security will seize it. And good luck ever getting that back. Oh, yeah. I mean, so I tell people don't go, don't fly with cash, you know, more, more than you need to take a taxi. Right. 
because if unless you want someone to take it and keep it um, and the horror stories of people who have lost money in airports. Well, and it's no different. I mean, you know, there's that story of the two people who went to buy a what was it, an RV and they went with like one hundred hundred thousand dollars in cash or I forget. Uh, they drove across the country to 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 try to buy a vehicle in, in cash and they had their money taken. They weren't even really charged with anything that, you know, that looks like a legitimate offense. Um, so, you know, it it, 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 if this ever washed onto the shores of middle-class Americans, I think there would be a complete, you know, there would be the, the peasant result revolt of 2023. But I think the government has been smart to sort of keep it on the fringes, the lower class communities of color, you know, don't make this too much of a thing. Don't educate the people on what civil forfeiture is. So I never even heard of civil forfeiture until I had a case on it. Right. Um, and it was an interesting case because it was a case where the government obviously was trying to steal money. They were trying to steal money that didn't belong to them. It was it involved a uh, a corporation accused of engage, uh, participating in international money laundering that received a $100,000 wire transfer indisputably of drug funds, but into their general operating account that had three or $400,000 of, of unrelated uh, money in it. And the government tried to seize all the money in the account. And that made no sense. And, and they, they sort of folded pretty quickly under, under litigation, but it took litigation. So the company that had its money seized had to hire American lawyers, this was a foreign company, um, pay them money, litigate the case, file all kinds of motions, and then finally reach a resolution, which was the obvious resolution, but but was not what the government proposed at the outset, which is just forfeit the illegal drug funds that we wired to you, right? It, it was an actual informant who wired the money or right. agent. Um, so I think that the abuses of civil forfeiture have been kept from uh, the, the public's uh, consciousness. And I think the goal is to keep it sort of in, in that way. So I, I, I hope our, our listeners understand that this is really, civil forfeiture is, is an engine of the war on drugs. And there's no interest, certainly under law enforcement, to get rid of it, um, even though there's no real justification to do any forfeiture prior to a conviction. I haven't heard a good justification for that. And if the general public knew what was really going on, they would be outraged. And and so, the 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 police are f fully invested in keeping us in the dark, and keeping this uh, gravy train rolling. Right. And I should say it's not just you know cash. I mean, they can take your watch, they can take your wallet, they can take your iPhone. Yeah. Um. And the real problem is that uh, I think I've said this before that you have a disincentive to argue that that's your money and that it's legitimate because you'd be forced to make admissions that would hurt you in your criminal case. Right. Um, so you don't want to say, oh, that roll of a hundred was mine. If it's going to look like you're a drug dealer, right? Why are you going to yeah. do that? Because you don't want to go to jail. You're not going to, you'll give up, you'll gladly give up thousands of dollars to keep yourself out of jail. Right. And once they take it, I mean, the average person, once the police take something, you think it's gone. Yeah. You think it's gone. You don't think, oh, I'll hire a lawyer and I'll get it back. And by the way, you know, I haven't watched a lot of Law and Order. I haven't watched a lot of cops, but I admit to having watched both back in the day. <laughs> um, can you think of any episode where they're like, dunk, dunk, civil forfeiture unit? 
They never talk about this. They never advertise no. it. No, somehow never, it never comes up. Right. It's never part of the cops episode where they're like, you got any explanation for this $200? We're going to seize it. Right. I mean, they'll say, oh, it's evidence and it's being bagged and tagged. Right. I'm sure they make a big production about that. Uh, but they never say we're taking this as civil forfeiture. Because, again, the, the, these shows are propaganda shows for the police. And the minute you start talking about that stuff, I mean, the only only cop shows that I know to really show like the reality of what the, the cops do is are shows like The Wire. Right. That's the famous one that that tries to at least, you know, give a pragmatic view of, of how cops behave and an alternative view, certainly, than what you get on network television. Right. And I'm guessing they didn't tackle civil forfeiture either. Because no, again, I don't think they did. If you ex just saying civil forfeiture, like people's eyes kind of glaze over. I, I hope uh, anyone who started out as a listener is still awake. Right. Um, but, you know, that's the problem. Uh, right. Because this doesn't seem like a, a real issue. It's, um, it's such a banal name. It just sounds like, you know, it, you're seizing property or, or people are taking something um, that doesn't belong to them, which isn't the case. They're, they're taking something that does belong to them and they're taking it against their will on most, a lot of the times, trumped up charges. And uh, they're never giving it back. And people like Kevin Burnham get their hands on it and steal it. And it's it's just nuts. Right. And we'll... We'll get to another leg of this stool uh, on the war on drugs, which is qualified immunity. Yes. Um, but and it's a similar one. It's hard for people to connect it. Another um, banal name. And, you yeah. know, there was just an article in the Globe. It's funny you say it, um, Ilias, but there was an article in the Globe uh, of all of these victims, uh, all these victims, families of police shootings in the in the Boston area rallied in front of the state house to um to repeal qualified immunity right. or to to help raise awareness on repealing it i mean between civil forfeiture which is legal theft and qualified immunity which is basically you can't get sued these people are completely above the law and they are the law in a lot of circumstances they are the law because if they're taking people's money without an actual arrest or offense, like they, they're the law, they, they are the law. And right. And that's why we, we started in the beginning with the Magna Carta, because that's the fla the flavor you get, right? That, you know, stop taking my horses. Yeah. You know, stop taking my wheat. Um, stop and, locking me in jail for no reason. And saying you can do it because you're the law, right? Right. Whatever the king said was the law right and and interestingly that's the same that argument uh has has now reached american presidential politics that's the the unitary um executive theory right that if the president does it it can't be illegal right and um, that's why it is so important for us to keep our system where we can vote someone out every four years because if you get a bad one it's only four years it's not 40 you know well, yeah, and I th hope people pay more attention to their house races in state, uh, 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 in in the state house. Um, you know, ask your state representative, ask your state senator, what do you think about civil forfeiture? What are you going to do about it? 
Um, you know, if you're in a town that has town meeting, uh, you can ask, um, hey, guys, how much money do you rake in every year on civil forfeiture that you don't tell us about because it's not in your budget? So there's things we can do as 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 active citizens, but again, most people are too busy to do any of that. But right, and those uh, town meetings are fucking horrible. I've been to them. They're, right, they're but hopefully, at least now, people will not uh, scroll past civil forfeiture when they see it, um, and maybe there can be some accountability on reform in Massachusetts. We're still the worst. We still get an F. Uh, Arkansas, and Mississippi are still laughing at us. Um, <laughs> from their outhouses, but you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, but that's where we are. Yep. And I will post to our Twitter account. I'll post some articles that um, were embedded in, in what Ilias brought sent over today. And I'll even post the outline for, for this uh, program. So you can kind of go through if you're interested and, and check it out. So there'll be materials up on the Twitter page. Definitely follow us there. It's at uh, rig lab. Uh, on Twitter. Uh, so next time we will be um, we'll be diving into more um, of of the of qualified immunity and more of the kind of backbone laws that make um, you know our system rigged and and make it uh, a system of injustice that it has been for a long long time. So uh, Ilias, thank you very much for all your work on this. It was very informative, and I hope our listeners enjoyed and learned something new today. Yep. All right. Talk to you soon, guys. Thank you. Take care.